Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I started a message last week and I didn't get to finish it. And some of you were thankful that I didn't get to finish it because we'd have still been here. So we cut it in half and this week I'm going to give you the second part of the good life. If you open the New Testament, you'll find something that's very important, especially when you get about four or five chapters in. You'll realize that the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Jesus standing upon the mount, began to teach and, and, and to show people something that was very, very important that was contradictory to what most everybody believed. As they stood up there, as Jesus taught these things, within 12 verses, he gave probably the most important set of bullet points that anybody could really ever understand. I began last week with these verses, and I'm just going to begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what Jesus says in these moments is he, he challenges the status quo. He redefines what the good life really is. He, he challenges the distortions that most of us perceive in our culture as being the good life. We're faced with pictures every day. Hey, this is what your life is. You see them on Facebook. You see them on Instagram. You see them on social media of, hey, this is what the good life really looks like. But my friends, I can tell you, that is a distortion that the world has pushed toward you. And Jesus comes in and he says, you know, the distortion that, that we have here today is exactly what I want to challenge and confront. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, you don't have to have everything to have the good life. He says, blessed are those who mourn. You, your life doesn't have to be absent from pain in order to have the good life. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the meek. You don't have to push your agenda. You don't have to force your way to the front of the line in order to have a good life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Did you know you can serve God and make Him a priority and you can still enjoy the good life? And that's what Jesus does. He confronts. And in the first four verses of that sermon is the first four bullet points he teaches us what it means to really have the good life and then he goes on and i'll just start into it verse seven he says this he says blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy if there is any assumption that needs to be destroyed in our society or in, in our culture it's this one it's the idea that being merciful and kind cannot lead you to a good life. You see, our culture is the marketplace for offenses. We live in a society where it is everybody is offended by everything. You're offended by what you read online. You're offended by what the, the newscaster says. You're offended by what someone says that, that, they, that you took the wrong way. It is a marketplace of offenses out there, and a lot of people go through and feel shopping cart every day with the offenses that they have out there in life. 
where something that's said that's so innocuous becomes huge, and there is this there is this thread that goes through in this post on the bottom of that Facebook picture, and all these people are chiming in with their own opinions, and the same thing on any social media. And if you're not on social media, you can do it by, by the telephone, and you can do it by email, and you can do it through text, and these long texts, because you take, we take these offenses. We, we live in a society that says, I just can't let this go. I can't let this slide. I mean, I'm going to get the last word. Surely none of you would ever say that. I'm going to get the last word. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something because they have it coming. And, and that's, that's kind of the way that a lot of people live. They live with this mentality, with this myth that says that good guys always finish last, or that kind people or merciful people or good people will never win. And that's the myth that we have. And if you're taking notes, that's that. It, 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 you're, good people, just they just don't win. They, they can't win. You, you have to come back. You have to one-up everybody. And we live in a world that just says, take no prisoners. Don't be merciful. And that's when Jesus steps in and he says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. The word merciful is the Greek word elemon. It means to wash away. It means to wipe away. There's no shortage of people in the world and in this room lining up for, the, for mercy. Everybody wants mercy. Everybody wants to be on the receiving part. Matter of fact, that's the favorite part of verse 7 that everybody says, for you will be shown mercy. Everybody likes to be shown mercy. Everybody likes to be the exception. And I can prove it to you. Has anybody ever been pulled over? You got pulled over and you knew you were speeding. You knew you rolled through that stop sign. You knew you did it. So you roll your window down and the officer walks up. You got your driver's license and your insurance in hand already because you knew. He says, license and insurance, and you hand it to him. And, he's, and you, through the course of a short conversation, you say, is there any way that I could just get a warning this time? You know what you're saying? Can you just have a little bit of mercy on me? Would you, would you have just a little mercy? I mean, I know I did it. Of course, you didn't say that. You wouldn't confess it. I know I rolled through this. I know I was speeding. But can you just act like I wasn't? Can you just give me the warning and say, you know what? It's okay. Everybody, everybody in this room, we want to receive mercy. We want to be in the mercy line. Man, show me some mercy. And the Greeks use this word, this wash off, this merciful word, as what they called whitewashing or lime washing. They would take stones and they would set the stones up to build a building and they would take lime wash and they would wash the stone and inside that lime wash there was a white pigment, pigment and, and it, would, it would cover that stone and it would make that thing polished white. You can go to Greece today and you can see buildings that are made of stone and they are just pure bright white whitewashed 
clean. The stone was clean from all the dirt and all the filth. It was washed away. And in the same way, that's what this word means, being merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who wash away those things that seem to offend us, that just wash them away, that just wipe them away. David is the one in, in Psalm 51 who says, God, would you just look at my life and wash it away? He says in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. And look at verse 2. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Lord, wash me. Let mercy wash over my heart. You see, we've all been the offender. God takes offense at our own sin. But God has mercy on us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, rich in mercy... Loving us so much that he even, that though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. He washed away our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We all want to receive that mercy. Thank God he brings mercy to our life. You and I are just, are just offenders standing in the mercy line saying, Lord, would you just please have mercy on me? I know I'm guilty. I know I've committed offense, but would you just have mercy? mercy. That's what it means to be saved, is when you know who you are, and you recognize your faults, and you recognize your shortcomings, and you go to God, and you say, God, would you please have mercy? I'm guilty, but have mercy. Show me mercy, Lord. And Jesus does a little bit more, because in verse 7, he qualifies that. He says, he says, not just the ones who should be shown mercy, but he says being merciful, full of mercy, is how you were shown mercy. And so what's our response? When he says, blessed are the merciful, our response should be we should work hard at being kind. You say, why would you work hard at it, Pastor? Because I'm telling you right now, it doesn't come natural to you. <laughs> being merciful does not is not a natural inclination for anyone. It's not something that you would normally do. It's not the natural thing that you would say. It's not the natural thing for you to do. You don't instinctively let offenses go. You're hardwired, just like I'm hardwired. We're all hardwired to want to take revenge. We want to, to get even. That's who we are as, as human beings. We want to get even. So being merciful is totally different. We want to pick up that offense. We want to see that post. We want to read that, that tagline, and we want to carry that offense. I'll dare them. They said that. I can't believe that she would come to church and not speak to me. What an offense. I can't believe pastor didn't shake my hand today or recognize me for serving in the nursery. I can't believe it. I'm offended, and we want to carry that offense kind of like a picture of two dueling graffiti artists who have two walls of their house and one graffiti artist walks across the street and he paints on on his neighbor's wall and the other graffiti artist he says well I'll show him up and he goes to his neighbor and he paints graffiti on his wall and back and forth they go trading graffiti and trading art painting on his wall and painting on you know my whole thought and understanding of what jesus is trying to say is that we shouldn't carry around a can of, of paint we should carry around a washcloth 
And every time that offense lands upon us, upon our house, upon our, upon our, our, our life, then we just take a cloth and we just wash it off. We don't carry that offense and say, you know what, I'm going to show you, I'm going to one-up you. That's what Jesus is saying. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. They're the ones that's going to be shown mercy. Because here's the thought. When you show mercy, you receive mercy. When you show the mercy, when you are merciful, you receive mercy. You are blessed, and, and you, are, you are blessing yourself as you show mercy. I want you to think about this. Kindness and mercy are really contagious. I read a story about a guy who pulled up into the McDonald's drive-thru. And he was in a good mood that day. And so he decided that he was going to pay for his meal and the guy behind him. And so he buys his McDonald's meal, and he pays for the car behind him. And as the cars come through, because this guy was just in a good mood and wanted to do something kind, 17 cars paid it, paid for the car behind him. It went for 17. Kindness and mercy is a contagious thing. I just want to wonder, what would happen if the Lord caught you in a good mood today? What would happen? I want you to think about the mercy that could be unleashed in your life, as, as, just as Jesus says, the mercy. If you are merciful, I want you to think about the mercy that could begin to flow into your life, more than just some, some random act of kindness, more than just being in a good mood. It is, it is allowing mercy to flood your life. And as you are merciful, mercy begins to flow in your life. You want mercy with your, with, your, with your job? You want mercy in your life? Then become merciful. Become full of mercy. Be intentional about it. All of our excuses is always the same. Well, they don't deserve it. Well, let me ask you a question. Who does? Who does deserve it? The good life belongs to those who are merciful, Jesus said. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We live in a society, in a world where we're trained not to be honest. Not to be honest even with ourselves. When we were asked, and I heard it this morning as people were coming in, How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Heard it, heard it all morning. I'm doing fine. Doing wonderful. Well, how's your family? Oh, they're doing good. Doing real well. And the kids? I uh, can't complain. They're great. Kids are doing great. Job? Oh, man, it's going well. Going great. Going great. We're constantly trying to project an image that our life is it's fine. Everything is great. We project one way to one group and we project it another way to another group. We're constantly trying to show people how, how true, true blue we really are. I mean, we're perfect. One way that I've noticed that people project their life and how great things are is when you pull up to a light and you see people projecting their family with stick figures on the back of their minivan glass. There's the dad stick figure, and he's smiling. He's just so happy, and he's holding mom's stick figure hand. 
They're happy. Their marriage is wonderful. And as I sit there at the light, I'm looking in little, uh, little Johnny's stick figure. He's doing good. Man, the kids are great. And then they also put the little dog on there, the dog stick figure. How wonderful. What a beautiful family. Everything, that family must just absolutely be perfect. I mean, what could be wrong with that family? Here's the thing. We always try to project that we're perfect, that we're pure. That nothing is wrong, that everything is just exactly fine. I'll just ask you this question. How many of you in this room are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Put your hand down. I want you to know, everybody that raised your hand, we all know that you have marriage problems. We all know it. We all know it. You say, well, Pastor, I ain't got no marriage problems. Yes, you do. She just hadn't told you yet, but you got them. You got them. It's not perfect. We all know that. Don't try to act like it is. Don't cover it up. You know, another thing you see on the back of minivans or on the back of any cars, my son is an honor student. Isn't that fantastic? Have you noticed nobody ever puts my son flunked junior English? <laughs> nobody says that. They don't put that on there. Nobody does that. Nobody puts the picture of the stick figures where she has a knife hanging over his head. Nobody puts that on there with blood dripping. Nobody, nobody does that. Why? Because we want to project that everything is right, everything is pure. We live in a world that, whose economy is built around things that are not authentic. We have artificial intelligence. We have artificial ingredients. We have artificial sweeteners. We have artificial tears. We have artificial organs. We have artificial jewelry. Some of you are wearing artificial nails. That's all right, because some of you are wearing artificial hair. You've got artificial plants in your house. You have artificial fabric. Some of you are going to put up artificial Christmas trees this year. And some of you, I don't know why, but you're going to eat artificial meat. <laughs> he said, I'm going to eat artificial meat with artificial teeth. That's right. <laughs> Our economy is built on things that are artificial. It looks great, but it's not real. Some of you, and some people even have a relationship with God that's artificial. Are you going to let me preach now? I made you laugh, so now I'm going to get after you. You can have an artificial relationship with God. Some people even attend artificial churches. You know how I know they're artificial? Because they look great, but the most important real ingredient's missing, the presence of God. Everything looks wonderful on the outside, but the real stuff is not there. It's fake. 
It's not pure. It's built upon something that is artificial, that is non-genuine. And here's the myth. The myth in our society is this, is that the difference between the genuine and the artificial doesn't even matter. That's what we've been sold in our world. That the artificial and the genuine is really not that big a deal. Some of you are carrying purses around. What do they call? What are these purses? They, you can get them, go down to Sand Moon, man. Go down to that street, and you can pick up these artificial, what are they, Gucci? What are they, Sydney? Louis Vuitton, that's it. Thank you. You're carrying around Louis Vuitton, and it's as fake as your eyelashes are. It's fake. It ain't real. But nobody knows it. I don't even know it. I couldn't tell the difference. You know what it is to me? It's a bag. That's all it is. It's a Louis Vuitton. Nobody knows the difference because, see, the difference doesn't really matter. The only person that knows is you. And you know what? The same way can happen in your relationship with God. Everybody looks all good. It looks wonderful. Man, I can go to church. I can raise my hands. I can sing the song. I even carry my Bible in. And nobody really knows the purity of that relationship except for you. See, the reality is our economy is built upon things that are not genuine. They want to sell you the artificial. Why? Because the artificial doesn't cost as much. You don't have to crawl up on the cross and die if you want something artificial. You don't have to carry that cross to work if you want something artificial. It can just be fake. It can be, and, and, and we believe the myth that, hey, the artificial is just as good as the real friend. It is not. Not. There is only one real thing, and that is a died-out person who has died to themselves and who has, who has received the life of Christ in their heart. That is all that is real and all that is genuine. And that is the authenticity of knowing God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are the fake or blessed are the un ingenuine or, or, or the inauthentic. God's, God wants us to be pure in our relationship with him. So that's the question. What do we do? Well, we have to, first of all, we, have, we respond to that. We say, Lord, I want to decide to be authentic. You have to stop thinking of how to manipulate life in order to have the good life. Quit trying to make everybody think that you're something. Especially, don't try to make God think that you're something that you're not. Because I know this, the most satisfied people in the world are those who have nothing to hide. Those are the most happy people I know. Blessed, the blessed people that I know, the happiest people, they're the ones who have nothing to hide. They are just who they are. When you look at them, they don't have anything to hide. That's just who they are. I read a story one time where a CEO was going to meet all the new business the young, the young man in the company, and he was going to choose a ne the next executive director for the company. And so he brought all these young, eager men to, to his office, and he says, look, fellas, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give each of one of you, each of you a seed, and I want you to take it home, and in six months, you're going to bring that back to me, and I want to see what you've done with this seed. And so he gives them all seeds, and they go away. One man's name was Joe, and he takes his seed, and he goes home, he plants it in a pot, he watches it, he moves it into the sun every day, he waters it, he takes care of it, weeks go by, he sees nothing. It doesn't grow. 
A month goes by, two months, three months, four months goes by. Joe has nothing but a pot full of dirt. He knows, he's like, I'm not going to be the next executive. I can't even get this seed to sprout. It won't even come up. The end of six months, all these young executives, they come in, and here's Joe carrying his pot full of dirt. Everybody else is walking in. Man, they've got bushes, and they're growing. Some of them are tall. Some of them are short and wide. They're green. They're beautiful. And they come in, and they're so proud. And they walk into that CEO's office, and each one sets it down in front of him. The CEO comes out from behind his desk, and he looks at all of these men with their plants, and then he sees Joe with nothing. He looks at all the guys who had the plants. He said, you guys are all dismissed. Because the seeds that I gave you were boiled seeds. They were boiled. They won't grow. But you come in with all these plants. What seed did you use? You see, God wants the pure in heart is what he's looking for. He said, look, the to, to way to get ahead, we've got we've to bend the rules. We've got to present ourselves to be something that we're not. And the Lord Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they're the ones who will see God. They're the ones that will, that will find the advancement to see the Lord. When you're pure in heart, you will know the good life. You don't have to present yourself in some certain way because you're the same person in the middle of the crowd as you are when you're alone by yourself. You're the same person on Sunday morning as you are on Friday nights down on the square with your friends. Blessed are the pure in heart because integrity is your priority. Psalm 24 says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who, he who has, a, has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Oh, God of Jacob. You see, if you are seeing the face of God, seeking the face of God is the goal of a person with a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then he goes on. He says in verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, on the surface... Most would agree with Jesus here. They'd say, man, you got it on track right here. Jesus, you are right on. I mean, who doesn't want a little bit of peace in their life? Come on, somebody. Who doesn't want just a little bit of peace? Hopefully this week you'll find a little bit of peace. You know, you Cowboys fans, you've been out of, out of wax for a week. And hopefully on Thursday you'll be able to find a little peace. I don't think it's going to happen today because I know who they play. Yeah, you might be praying another week for that peace, Cowboys fans. I think the Vikings are going to toss you over today. But if you get a closer reading of verse 9, what you're going to discover is you realize that Jesus says that the good life is for those who actively seek peace and not who just passively receive peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacetakers. There's a difference between the people who walk in the room and bring peace to the room 
and the people who just want to come to the room that's full of peace. Big difference. A closer reading, you will see that. And see, here's the myth. Here's the myth that the world tries to push toward us. It's that if you don't fight for yourself, nobody else is going to fight for you. So you've got to come bare knuckles, chest out, ready to throw some punches. Because you never know when you're just going to have to take up the fight. And here's the deal. In America, we've, got, we've become so accustomed to conflict. You know, we, we live in constant conflict. We're, and we're used to conflict all the time now. We have political conflict. It is, it is unavoidable. You see it everywhere. We, we, we feel the, con, the, the conflict. You have an ideological divide, and you can feel that, content, that, that conflict there. There's marriage conflict like never before. You have church conflict that goes on all the time. Praise God that this is not one of those churches, but we, we, we see it all the time. There's conflicts within the church. Americans have become used to being in conflict. And here's how I know that. Of the 246 years of American history, there have only been 15 years as an, in, in America's history that we have not been in a war. Did you know that? Only 15 years America has not been in a war involved in fighting somewhere on this planet. So what is that, 231 years? All America knows is war, fights, conflict, battle, loss. So how do you respond to that? Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, here's how you do it. You remember that there's no future in fighting. There, there just is no future in fighting. Because whenever there's a fight, there's always at least two losers. I mean, I know people who the question is not, what are they mad at? But the question is, what are they mad at today? They just wake up ready for conflict, ready for a fight, ready for something. Let me tell you something. You can live the good life and not have to live an angry life. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be with clenched fists all the time in order to fend off the, the person or the world or the, the things that are challenging you. You don't have to walk around like that. Listen to what Psalm 34 verse 14 says. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue peace. You've got to move beyond this, this, this peaceful disposition and actively attempt to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. The ones who seek re reconciliation. The ones who seek a, a, a truce. A, the ones who seek peace are the ones that Jesus is talking about. You should be the first one. Here's how it works in our own lives. If you are in conflict in, in your marriage, here's how it works. You should be fighting to see who can say you're sorry first. That should be what the fight's about. Well, wouldn't that change our homes? Wouldn't that change our marriages? No, 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 I I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Let me say it first. Let me apologize first. Let me try to make things straight first. You see how that flips it up on its head? Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to stick this out 
I'm going to make sure that my rights get offended. No, 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 no. You set your rights aside and you say, hey, let's, I, want to, I want to bring peace to this. This isn't going to solve any way. It, because as long as we're in contention, as long as we're in conflict, there's always going to be two losers. You don't walk away from a fight without being a loser. You lose, no matter what. So how do you make peace? Look at Matthew chapter 4, or Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses later in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Peacemaking is the mark of God's children. It's the reflection of God's character. Anyone can live at peace with people they like. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live at peace with people that they don't like. Blessed are the peacemakers. The good life is not to those who have peace, but it's for those who bring peace wherever they go. And then finally, Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that it doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted for doing dumb things. We do dumb really well. I know we do it in my house. It happens. I've told my kids, hey, look, five seconds of dumb can ruin your life. So don't do dumb. Even though you're good at it, don't do dumb. The persecuted ones that Jesus admonishes. He says, blessed are the persecuted are those who do it for the right reasons. They're in the right. They're persecuted for doing something right, not for doing something wrong. But the myth is, is that the best life and the good life is only for those who are in the majority. The good life is when you are in the majority. That's because when you're in the majority, then you don't have that that persecution. You don't have the pressure. Nobody's challenging you. Nobody's challenging your ideas because it's the majority. Everybody just kind of goes with the flow because this is what we all believe. This is what we all think about. This is what we all stand for. And everyone who doesn't like you, well, they just keep their mouth closed because you're in the majority. Let me tell you, everyone doesn't have to like you in order for you to have the good life. Not everybody has to agree with you in order for you to still have a good life. They don't have to think about God the same way that you have. You're going to sit down at a table this next week, this Thursday, Friday, whenever, and you're going to sit down with family members that don't have the same opinions that you have. They don't have the same beliefs that you have. Let me tell you something. You can still have a wonderful time even there with them in their presence because your ideas don't have to be the majority consensus. So how do you respond? Well, you do what is right no matter what. You do what's right no matter what. Pressure in our life can either produce a pro or it can produce a pawn. It's your choice. 
But when that pressure is on, you have to know that I am going to determine to do what is right no matter what. Right decisions might cost you something, but right decisions will allow you to live the good life. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, looked down upon, talked about because of righteousness. When Shannon and I were serving in, as missionaries in Russia, we came across a man, his name was Valeri. He's an incredible guy. He was a leader in one of the churches that we spoke about. And we were sitting at lunch with him one day, and I told him, I said, hey, Valeri, I want you to tell me your story. He began to tell me a story. He was, he was in his, I would say, mid-60s at that time. And he began to talk to me about what life was like in the former Soviet Union. He said, when I was a young man, he said, I came to know the Lord because of a Bible someone had snuck into our country and that I had read. He said, I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, it transformed everything about me. He said, the pressure in those days was so challenging. He said, it was very, very hard because, because if, you were, if you were found out to be a believer, you, you, you were treated completely different. He said, when I was a young man, I worked on the road crews. He said, we would go out and we would fix potholes. And he said, one day we were out fixing potholes. He said, it was a, it was a long work day. And the, the government had told him we had to finish a certain stretch of road by a certain period of time. He said, as I worked, he said, I began to just unconsciously begin to sing a song. And he said, it was a, it was a, a hymn that I had heard and learned. He said, I began to sing this song. He said, inevitably what happened is everybody in my work crew found out that I was a believer, that I followed Jesus. And so they went back in the break room. He said, as we went in to go to the break, they told the supervisor. And when the supervisor found out, he laughed. And he said, well, let's just see how powerful your God is. And he sent me back outside and he said, I worked filling potholes by myself while they, while they did their break. He said, that went on. Till the day was over and he said when the day was when the day was about to complete he said we had to finish he said we were working we had to work through the night because we had to finish a certain stretch of road he said during the breaks he said they would leave me alone he said they wouldn't let me come in and do the breaks he said in the middle of the night he said it was cold he said i was freezing he said as i sit out there he said knowing that i was the only one everybody else was warm I thought to myself, I don't have to be in this position because the only reason why I'm here is because I'm following Jesus. And I begin to have a conversation with the Lord. He said, as I, I cried out to God, he said, I, I, I would say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to be the one that's, that's mistreated? And he said, this verse came to me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He says, as I thought about that, he said, I remember the second part of it. He said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, I worked all night long singing my hymns and saying this verse and these parables. He said, and I, and I began to speak the, the Beatitudes over and over again. He said, my tears, he says, as I began to worship the Lord, they thought I was crying because I was outside working. He said, I was crying as I was worshiping the Lord, sitting on the edge of a, of a jackhammer, he told me. 
busting out the, the broken pieces so that we could fill it. He said, as I cried and wept, he said, the tears were freezing to my face. And he said, I worship the Lord all night long. He said, they came in. They, they, we finished the road that next morning. He said, and I realized what I had done. He said, through the persecution, I had shared my faith. He said, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see anybody give their heart to Jesus, but he said, I had shared my faith. He said, because I knew Jesus was with me. Blessed are the persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Jesus turned up. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus turns the myth of the culture on its head, and he challenges us to think about what the real good life is, not what the world tries to tell us it is. Let's bow our heads for challenge. This morning, as you think about these words, I know that what I have said today to some of you has been very applicable in your own life. And I want us to just take a moment and I want to allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you. I want Him to challenge you because some of you have been thinking this image of what the good life really is and it's been a it's been a myth. It's a mirage. It's, it's what the world has told you the good life is. Jesus comes and he says, this is what it means to have a good life. You look around at, at your life and you say, well, you know, I don't have this and I don't have that. You don't have to have everything. Well, my life is filled with pain. You don't, you don't have a good life just because it's absent of pain. You don't have a good life because you present yourself to be perfect. I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't require us to be perfect. You don't have a good life because you're in the majority. You have a good life because you stand with the one who stands above the majority. This morning, I just pray over you. I'm just going to ask you to respond. Is there anybody in this room you say, you know what, Pastor? I've thought about this this week and even this morning, and I've been challenged because I've, I've been thinking that my life was, was about the images that I've seen on social media or Facebook, and that's, that's what I had to be. But I realize today that that's not what it's about. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? Because I'm, I'm, my life, I'm just being challenged. I'm facing some things in my heart, in my life, that's just, it's tough. And I want to just be reminded, I want the Holy Spirit to just come and to just move upon my heart and just give me the confidence to know that I'm going to be able to make it, that God is working in my life. 
you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? Would you just raise your hand this morning? Anyway, yes, 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 yes. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling in my own mind and in my own heart about what my life is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like. Would you just pray that God would help me to see what He wants me to be, what He wants my life to look like? Anybody else, you just want to raise your hand. There's been three or four, five, raise their hands already. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here in just a moment, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We've got plenty of time. As we stand, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you raised your hand, I'd like to invite you to do something. I want you to come down to this altar area. I want you to just kneel down at one of these altars or on the steps. I want you to just kneel down. I want you to respond. You're not, going to be, you're not going to be passive about this. You're going to be active. You're going to say, Lord, I, I'm coming to you. You know what you're dealing with in my heart. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart right now. Don't let this moment pass by. Don't let, don't let the enemy talk you out of just a moment spent with the Lord. As we stand in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you raised your hand, I want you to come. I want you to kneel at one of these altars on my left or right or right here in the middle on these, one of these steps. I want you to just kneel. And I want you to take a moment with the Lord and I'm going to pray over you as you come. Don't be surprised if others might follow right behind you. They may pray behind you, asking the Lord just to give you strength, give you direction. But as we stand, you raise your hand. I want you to move out from where you are. Come and kneel at these altars. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.